Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Last week was our first online service and just the second week now and uh, I'm already missing you guys. A couple of you texted me and said this is so weird, uh, we're not gathering as usual. I feel the same way and um, this, you know, soon and very soon we can get together again. But for now, yeah, this is how we meet. So good morning and so happy that we can be here together. We're looking at the word. And this morning, uh, I'm going to be speaking to us about a community of hope. And uh, we're looking at Psalm 42. So if you're ready for the word, dive right in with me. Uh, you can scroll and flip open your Bibles to 42. Um, and I'll just uh, start off with a word of prayer. God, we just thank you so much that we can look at your word together as your people. And we look to you and we say that we turn our gaze, our whole beings towards you. And we want to be attentive to you, to your voice, to your movements, um, to your, your stirring within our hearts. And even as we look at your word, we pray that God, that you speak uh, in your soft, still voice in your whisper, in your nudgings, and you move us towards you in faith and obedience because we are yours, your people, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Psalm 42 is pretty familiar to some of us, uh, maybe not all. I mean, it's a psalm that deals with how we respond during dark times. And uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, there are five parts to, that normally people you know, break it up into. And Psalm 42 is the first psalm in the second book, uh, in, in the whole book of Psalms. And it's one of the prayers that we consider as prayer of exile, right? And, and uh, we'll look deeper into that and why it's called that. But just to you know, start us off, it's Psalm 42 and is, 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 a, is an amazing psalm from which we can learn a lot from. So we're looking at that, we're going to break it down uh, uh, through the verses. And uh, you'll see, you know, uh, as, as God shows his scripture to us. We started with verse 1, all right? And verses 1 to 3 says this, follow along, whatever version you have. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? From these verses, you get a sense of this desperate longing, right, of the psalmist. And, and he longs for what he needs, like, like um, the extent, like a deer longs for water. And that thirst is, is more than just like, a, you know, the, the hunger pangs you get when you skip a meal or two, uh, when, you're, when you're doing fasting or when you just have time to eat when you get too busy. This thirst is, is, is literally like my soul longs, like I, I'm going to die, like I can't do without. And that's how much he feels uh, this need, right, for God and to be to be meeting with God. So verse, the verse says that like I need to meet with God. When can I go to meet with God? Which he can't wait to do. And it's interesting because if we look at, at verse 2, when it says that my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, uh, a sobering question that came to my mind was like, you know, would a, would a person who is, you know, proud and in a good place desire and long to meet with God? It's almost like if you can, you can frame it as sorrow as being like a lack of something. We feel we lack something. And this psalmist is saying, my tears are like my food. 
day and night, right? That, that's crazy uh, to be like feeding on your, your tears. But it depicts this sorrow as a huge and deep lack for something. And, and you get this sense that only someone who, you know, either has humbled himself volitionally, like at will, or humbled by circumstances, would dare to say, when can I meet with the living God? Uh, because, you know, otherwise, you, you, you know, it's not like we, we need God. There's a pride that, that denies that. But whether, you know, when we're humbled, we desire, we long to meet with God. And at the same time, we, we can observe through the verses, as the psalmist talks about this, is that he's feeling despondent, uh, but there's no hint there, like, is it guilt or a wrongdoing or, or a sin, right? There's just this despondency. There's just this, like, downcast feeling that says, I long for God. And, and it's almost like, and you know, oftentimes in life, there may be uh, occasions when we, we experience this at some point, right? Whether it is through a tragedy or something that um, we chose or we made, made a wrong decision or something, uh, we go through that. We, we perhaps like didn't exactly do something wrong, but like you just feel like God is not there and God is far away. And so verse 3 tells us not only that, like he feels already distant and like this despondency, and then you've got like people saying to him all day long, where is your God, right? This longing, this restlessness that he feels is made worse, right? By people or sometimes by circumstances that, that cast a doubt uh, about his belief system or what we believe, right? It, we, we're, there's doubts that cast. And at times, these kind of questions like, where is your God? Is like an outright dismissal of God per se, right? Like, you know, people who don't believe that God exists. But in this context, that's not really the case. In this context, and in, in that time uh, uh, of this psalm, is m everyone would, would know and believe that God exists. The question is, your God has abandoned you, right? It's almost, it's not so much that God doesn't exist, but where is your God? Why isn't he intervening? Why is he not in this situation? What's your God doing? And when in a hopeless or unfavorable situation, uh, if you can kind of put yourself in, a, in different shoes, you almost picture like it's, it's easier to not have God in the picture, isn't it? Because it's hard oftentimes when we go through hard places or you know, ugly times, it's hard to reconcile suffering and pain with God's goodness, right? And so we, we, with our finite understanding, uh, it's easier to just reason like, I don't know where God is. Like God is nowhere to be found. And, and, and with that sense of feeling limited, not being able to grasp and fully comprehend the ways of God, it adds to this longing. How long, God? How long? And, and what, what are you doing, God? And why? Right? So we go down to verse 4 now. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. He remembers what's familiar, right? The psalmist says. It's, it's like what comfort food does for our souls. He feels displaced, disoriented. He feels like, oh, you know, I've lost those better days. He feels like the structures that gave meaning to his life, like, you know, worship and, and procession and celebrating the feast with his people. Things that are of value and of priority to him have been taken away. And, and, and this word upheaval keeps coming to mind uh, even as I meditate on this. It gives this imagery of having your security rug pulled right out from under your feet, 
right? Or, or a picture of a boat that sways so much that you can't feel secure, right? You feel unsafe. I remember a time when uh, I moved to the U.S. for Bible school for two and a half years. Uh, I wasn't too young. I was about 28. And uh, I anticipated, um, mentally prepared myself, emotionally prepared myself, and just thought, okay, you know, I'm going to have culture shock. I'm going to, you know, go through a bunch of uh, feeling of disorientedness. But still, like, they, there's that preparedness, and then there's you know, stuff that you can't really prepare for. And, and then sometimes upheavals in our lives feel that way, right? Um, it's not quite what we expect. Or we get caught off guard. And then there are life events that you can't plan. It's not like, oh, I'm choosing to move. There are life events that, that unsettles us because it's, it's crisis, it's things that happen to us, uh, and still uh, you feel unsettled. If we put ourselves in the shoes of the psalmist, you know, look at the psalm again, like closely, right? He is, if you had an inscription at the top of your psalm, it would tell you, like, this is a song of the sons of Korah. Right. These are the people who would lead the procession, their musicians, like the lead ahead. And that's why in verse 4 it says, you know, how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God. He misses that. He misses the coming together and misses the, the festivities, celebrating the feasts, the tabernacles, Feast of Pentecost and, and all that. And, and, and you get the sense that for, for them, for the people at that time, being in exile, you basically, you're away from your land and uh, you're not able to gather for worship like you used to. And there is a, a huge part of our identity as a people, right? I mean, if I identify with the psalmist, is, is the land and our worship, our place of worship. And his function, he's a musician, uh, he's leading the worship, and he can't do that anymore. And, and there's an impact on him as an individual and as uh, a community, right? There's impact on that. And then there are times of when we go through crisis, like existential crisis, right? Different things, transitions. Think of the time when the people of Israel went through the wilderness. 40 years. And, and so much so that it's not just getting to the promised land, but, but that whole process, that is really significant of what God is shaping. And so the psalmist uh, is, is reminiscing, right? Those days, I miss that how I used to go with the multitudes. And yet he recognizes this is where they are to be at, like in exile. Eugene Peterson says, the way of Jesus requires an active participation in following Jesus as he leads us through sometimes strange and unfamiliar territory in circumstances that become clear only in the hesitations and questionings, in the pauses and reflections, where we engage in prayerful conversations with each other and with Him. I want to draw your attention to verse 5 to 6. I hope you're tracking well. Uh, I hope you're yeah, yeah, following. 5 and 6 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Here again, he casts this picture of he's far away from his land, right? So he highlights, he feels disempowered. I don't know how this exile will be, 
I don't know the duration, I don't know what's ahead, but there is turmoil within. In fact, two times in this psalm, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disturbed? Right? Verse 11 says the same. And you, you go further down, he'll say, like, there is turmoil within. And what goes on when we grapple, when we have turmoil within? What happens uh, when, when we grapple with where we are in our situations? We grapple to be faithful to what we believe in, our faith. We grapple also for the sake of others. We're being shaped as we grapple because our faith depends on it. And as we navigate new terrain, it's inconvenience, it's disappointing. We grapple for the sake of others because this psalm was not just by the psalmist, but his prayer, his song actually vocalized what his whole community felt, this displacement, this grappling. So there is a grappling within and we navigate together. We come to terms with the burdens that another feels, the longings that we have within our hearts. We grapple with our true spiritual condition, our feeling displaced, our feeling out of sorts. This is not where I'm comfortable. We grapple with that and we are conscious of being put through this uh, almost like this crucible, right? Where, where substances are subject to high temperature, that, that's, that's the picture you get, is what happens when the people went through the wilderness, when we go through uh, uh, tough times and, and trials. And we're exhorted to just be, like if you rec recall a, couple, a few Sundays ago, uh, when Pastor Andre talks about us as being a distinctive community, right? And a transformative one. And that's what happens when we journey together in that place of discomfort. Right. Moving down to verse 7 to 8, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. What does it mean here? I think many times we hear this verse, right? deep calls to deep. I love how one commentary puts it this way. Just hear me you know, with a bit like old death English. Okay? The deep of man's need calleth unto the deep of God's fullness. And the deep of God's fullness calleth unto the deep of man's need. Between our emptiness and his all-sufficiency, there is a great gulf. Deep calleth unto deep. The deep mercy of God needs our emptiness into which it might pour itself. Nothing can fully meet the depth of our need but the depth of his almighty fullness. Basically, to put this in perspective right where we are, guys, our wisdom is shallow. His is unsearchable, right? Our love is limited. His knows no bounds. Our thoughts are so finite. God's thoughts are deep, unfathomable. Our peace is bound in constructs of time and space. His is beyond this world, right? Our prayers are so unimaginative. His answers to our prayers, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind can conceive. We look at verses 9 to 11 uh, as we draw to a close. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Do you notice this? Beautiful contradiction in verse 9. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? It's almost like saying, like, my God, my Savior, why are you not saving me? 
right? There is that contradiction, there's a tension. And so there's one way to put it, like, oh, he believes that God is his rock and yet he feels that God has forgotten him. Or we can see it this way, like it's because he knows God is his rock. He knows he's asking the right person, why have you forgotten me? It's because God is the one to whom this question is best directed, right? Why have you forgotten me? God, why, right? Why are we mourning? Why are we going through this loss? Or why are we grieving this uh, process that you, you, you're leading us through? And that kind of questioning is a good contradiction because who else would we ask that question to? To whom else would we go? But to Jesus who have the words of eternal life, right? So we say, God, my rock. In fact, the message version says, my rock solid God. I say to you, my rock solid God. It's a beautiful contradiction. So this upheaval that he feels becomes his occasion for remembering God, for turning his thoughts towards God and appealing to God. Nobody else but God. Not suppressing or denying or being resigned to it. The fact that he asks why, right, that there are valid reasons for feeling downcast in that sense. Why? Why are you downcast, my soul? There are valid reasons a lot of times for how we feel. Our feeling discouragement, down, just feeling lost, right? But there are also at the same time reasons for our hope. All the more. G. Campbell Morgan says this, puts it this way. The result is not deadening his sense of sorrow, but rather setting it in right relationship to God. When sorrow is set in this relationship, or when our, like, you know, when our questions, when our troubles are set in this relationship with God, there is, like in verse 8 says, a consciousness of his love in the daytime, and in the night a song and a prayer. Circumstances may change or they may not, but there is a hope that arises within our afflicted, yet trusting souls, trusting in God's certain promises. We hope in God individually, and we hope in God together. You know, in this season, we kind of feel curtailed in our lifestyles, right? Um, in an unprecedented way, we feel very much either on personal level or family level. I read this in a recent article. The curtailing of individual freedom to live, to move, to work, to go out, Maybe a new experience for some of us, but for certain people or certain communities, it's familiar. They've long gone through oppression or similar situations. By necessity, they've developed ways to cope with the fear and uncertainty on an individual level and communal level. No matter how we cope in situations of this magnitude right where we are right now, church, we do well to remind ourselves that our response is not merely as individuals, but as a community of God. We may not feel it right now or right this minute as much as we think other people may feel it, but the painful reality is we do. Because this is a large-scale situation where we are globally right now. And it cannot be carried on our own, nor can we only look out for ourselves, right? The loss, the trauma, the gravity of this situation where we are, our response can and has to be a communal one, to bear it together. We do justice when we give space for grieving our losses and our limits. And we've lost more than we realize. 
if we would give ourselves even that space to breathe, to reflect, to think. We recognize that God can work in our midst when we allow ourselves to be more human and at the same time more Christ-like because of it. I want to lead you in a couple of questions, just um, like, you know, quick reflection. A moment to respond and then I'll close real soon. The first one is, right where you are, how have you felt upheaval or a sense of loss lately? Personally. And the second is how can we attend to our need for God as a community? These are questions I hope that you can take with you and sit with it for this coming week. Um, maybe right where you are right now, uh, there's not a lot, long time that is quite enough for reflection. But I do encourage you to take this for this coming week and think on it. Right? The first one, how have you felt upheaval? And second, how can we attend to our need for God together as a community? Yeah. I'll end with this, and this is the part that really captured me when I looked at this psalm, verse 8. If you can look at that, it says, By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. This is like the central confession, because usually people take Psalm 42 and 43 together, and this like smack in the middle is this confession of faith. The psalmist has a deep-seated desire for God's presence because he feels this lack. And it's primarily and fundamentally a lack of union with God. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. No relationship, no career, no anything that gives us security, no cause can fulfill the deepest yearning of our heart. What this verse in verse 8 says, in some versions it says, it doesn't say direct. It says, the Lord commands His loving kindness to us, His hesed. And in the entire psalm, it doesn't use the word Lord, the personal name of the God of Israel, Jehovah, only in this verse. In Psalm 42 verse 8. The rest of the psalm says Elohim, God. But in this verse, it says Jehovah commands His loving kindness towards us. No one is cast off by God forever, Lamentation says. Though He brings grief, He will show compassion. So great is His unfailing love. Who is this God? He is the God not of death, not of sicknesses, not of even our griefs or our disappointments. Ultimately, He is God of our life. That's what verse 8 says, a prayer to the God of my life. And we pray He's God of your life. Wherever you are this morning, just hear this, that the Lord Jehovah commands His loving kindness towards you. A love that is faithful, steadfast, unchanging, loyal, 
fiercely loyal for you. And he says that he is the God of your life. And so that's our prayer this morning. And may this go with you throughout this week before we come again next week. Let me close in prayer. Father, we just give you thanks for the way that your word speaks to us right where we are. And we say this morning, we are your people and we call on you, your presence. We long for you, your voice. We long to know your movements, your face, your eyes. And even this morning, we receive the loving kindness that you command towards us. Not because of our sufficiency, but because of our lack and because of our need for you right this minute. We thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you that you are the God of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.